Welcome to episode 207 of the Linsix Podcast. I'm your host, Adam McGee, and joining me as always, it's my good friend, Jordan Tresky. Hello there, Jordan. Hello. Uh, Jordan, you've got to start doing better on these hellos. I mean, (laughs) I feel like you've got it in you to do better on these hellos. During the bad times, you've come in with some big hellos. I just, I'm feeling, my my body gives off an energy, and I'm going in that wavelength, baby. I'm going in that, why am I talking like Matthew McConaughey? Okay, well, right. I'm not going to, I'm not going to force you to go in any direction. I was in the dark tower, baby. I don't know. <laughs> well, that really isn't what Matthew McConaughey sounds like. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we are here to preview game four, not to critique Jordan's substandard Matthew McConaughey impressions. Um, the books picked up. I was in gold. And obviously, <laughs> important win in game three. That's that's the only the only reason, you know. Jordan, you're really gold. I mean, you're trying to put me off with some some bad Matthew McConaughey stuff early on. Um, How to lose a <laughs> a series in seven games? Um, the Bucks are doing their best to not fall into that trap, as they came out with. Some really important adjustments in game three, and they, you know, they also rode the very strange kind of games that can only come in the playoffs. The kind of games that came from Ton Maker, Jabari Parker to an extent, and uh, also guys like Delhi in a smaller role. Jordan, we broke all of that down. We looked back on game three. Let's start with Boston. What do you expect to change from the Celtics in game four? Um, probably not to get outworked. <laughs> I think that's that's a a safe assumption because that is kind of who they are. That's their identity. Bucks made a, a point to really hustle out, really at least put more effort in trying to corral rebounds, make the Celtics uncomfortable. Firstly, um, you know that that helps when you get out to an early lead like they did. Uh, you know, just minutes into the game. What happens when it's, you know, how games one and two shook out where they're kind of sizing each other up for the first couple of minutes and then Celtics break out for closing out the first quarter on, you know, these, the broadcast last night, at least on ESPN, that's where I watched it. They, I, I, I don't know why I forgot about this because, you know, it's only like three or four days ago that these games happened, but, um, you know, 15 to no, uh, no, uh, nil run and like 17 to two run to finish out the first quarters in the Celtics' favor, like stuff like that happened. You know, 
what happens when those elements come into play and how do the Bucks respond to it and how the Celtics kind of reverse, you know, not make uh, game three happen again in that way. Yeah, I think the the only thing you could say about the Celtics is that they will have a response. You know, if if the books come out and they manage to have an equally impressive win over the, the Celtics in game four, that will be a pretty special game for the books because the Celtics will have a response and they will adjust to some of what the books showed them, but they'll also have counters of their own to try and seize that advantage rather than just react to the books. There, there kind of has been an element of reacting to the home team so far in this series. Obviously, all three games have gone to the home team, um, but that's certainly something that's going to be worth watching is just kind of what Brad Stevens and the Celtics throw at them. Uh, key to all of it for me, Terry Rozier. Obviously, we, we saw him win two games where he played really well um, or at least finished really well in terms of game one. Without him playing well, they were forced into trying to have Al Horford do everything, and it was just too much to ask. Yeah. And if they can't get Terry Rozier going, that's where Kyrie Irving's absence finally becomes like decisive in this series. It's because you don't have Shane Larkin can give them solid minutes, but he's not scoring for you. He's not playmaking at any real rate. You need Terry Rozier to be close to a double-double. You need him to have right around 20 points and we'll say eight assists at least. If he finishes with nine points, nine assists on two of seven shooting, five turnovers, his first five turnovers of the series, um, like he did on Friday, the Celtics don't have an answer then. They, they just don't. So part of that onus is going to be on the books. It's also going to be on how Brad Stevens looks to find looks for Rozier. I did, my biggest expectation early on will be that the Celtics run quite a lot to try and get Rozier going in the first quarter. That would be one of my biggest expectations. And they, they go back to the well of maybe some of the things that were working for them. Maybe they target Eric Bledsoe and say, okay, which Eric Bledsoe have we got on this occasion? But I do think they'll work hard to get Terry Rozier quality looks, whether it's at the rim or around the perimeter. And that could be decisive heading into that game. One advantage the books have, and one thing before we talk about what the books can do or how the books will look going into game four, um, the advantage the books have is that they at least know how John Henson is. You know, they they can leave the Celtics very much hanging on that one of having no idea whatsoever if he's in play to come back for this game, if if he's going to be out again and what all of that entails. That's a pretty important detail all of a sudden. I assume the Celtics are hoping for him to be out again so they get a healthy dose of Zeller right now and take their chances at Ton. Would you say that's probably their read on it um i don't know i don't know what their read would be because obviously zeller has been pretty blah this series but i don't know that's kind of strange because starters as we talked about they were good comparatively to everything else in the bucks before game three um the season this zeller if you Put Zeller in the in Henson's spot and have the starting lineup be the same. And well, actually, that doesn't apply because Snell didn't start, so obviously that point is moot. Um, 
I don't know what I don't really know what you would do. I don't know what I they just, would hope. I just for. think Henson's played well, and I think that's that's one thing that they must feel. Well, more so than what? I mean, he was a bad game too. I mean, in terms of efficiency and everything, no books were good, but he he's been able to score in the series. Um, I I feel he's. <laughs> And this is a pretty scary place to be. He's the most reliable output at center for the Bucks in this series, you know. And from that perspective, I think the Celtics will have a little bit of, if not fear, they'll just be a little bit kind of. I don't know. They they'd like not to have to to deal with that because I mean, that's the most tried and tested shot blocker the Bucks have out of the way. Obviously, if Ton can come back and be game three, Ton in game four. Well, that's a big problem the Celtics will have to deal with then. But that's that's a real wild card still. There's no there's no way of knowing if that happens. If Henson comes back, what way does Joe Pronti lean into the first few games of this series? You know, what way does he go with this? Does Henson does Henson fall in line for considerable minutes again? Does Zeller fall out because he's been ineffective? Do we see Henson and Ton come closer to kind of splitting 50-50 or at least Ton be giving a chance and then, you know, depending on how he plays, that dictates Henson's minutes? What way do you think the center rotation will play out depending on Henson's health? Uh, I think Thon eats Zeller's minutes. I think depending on how the game is played... Um... Yeah, depending on how the game is played, Henson and Thon will have more of a split. Um, obviously, there'll be a sprinkle of Giannis at the center, uh, you know, lineups like that. Um, yeah, I, I think it depends. Again, a lot of this isn't po- – a lot of what happened Friday night isn't possible if the Bucks didn't, out, didn't get out to an early lead to further, you know, separate themselves from the Celtics and just basically flummox them from – whatever they want to do and play through Al Horford to get them out of their rut and stuff like that. Like that's, that's more key than anything is where this came during the game. Um, and what if the game is more tightly contested? Are they going to put Thon in that kind of spot when that's where things can kind of, what happened in game three might not be replicating game four. I don't know. I, I do not. I do. I do not know. Beyond that, it feels like we know a lot of what we're going to get from the books. Um, Jabari maybe being the biggest wild card. I think at this point, we, we've got what Giannis is going to be. We knew that going into the series. But then we also say, okay, well, look what Chris Middleton's been so far. There's very little reason to believe he's going to drop off that other than the fact that, well, how well can anyone play at that level? You know, there might just be some room for a slightly slower game because well, he's playing out of his mind right now. If that doesn't happen, if we can rely on Giannis and Middleton, just like the books have been able to rely on them through the series so far, are we then turning to Jabari and saying, okay, you need to come up with something again? Are, are we in that place? Like, on what end of the scales do we put the books game three win on Jabari? Do they lose game one and two because they get nothing out of Jabari? Or... Do they win game three because they get something? Is that beyond Jabari? Is it just that they need one of or some 
contribution from him and Bledsoe combined, say, where are we falling in terms of, I don't, third option for the books heading into game three? Game four, I should say. Um, I think it's, I think Bledsoe and Jabari are in the same spot. Those guys are, <laughs> you know. Can you, can you get away then with one or the other? Is the question. So if Jabari, I think, you know, I mean, if you get game at, one or two, Jabari does a good solid game from Bledsoe, give the books a chance to win. I think so. I mean, game one was, they were right in it. They went to overtime. Um, you know, that was, <laughs> that was, uh, uh, well, I I don't know. Um, I was about to make a point and I fought my brain off with the point I was about to make. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think I think they're in the same boat because they have made some public comments. They have put themselves out there, put the crosshairs on them, so to speak. Uh, they have to perform up to their capabilities. And games one and two, they were not doing that. Games three, they're getting closer to that. Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I, I, I think I think you get to answer the question. I think you get away with one maybe kind of having a middling night and the other having more of an encouraging um, impact, uh, more of a relieving impact <laughs> considering how the series has gone. Um, but I, I think I don't, obviously it'd be ideal if both were on point. Okay. We'll come back to it. We'll circle back at the end and we'll kind of give our feelings going into game four. But for the moment, I'm not saying we're not talking more about it, because we are. We're going to transition over into the mailbag, and we're going to let our listeners dictate the direction we go in a little bit. The first question from at AC Snide, what is Giannis going to do with Aaron Bain's soul now that he owns it? Sell it on eBay, keep it on his nightstand. I think Giannis has had Aaron Bain's soul for a while. Maybe that's what makes dunks like Friday Night's Dunk possible. I don't know. I, I think Giannis would keep it and treasure it. He seems like that kind of guy. He's going to buy Elf Pogs. That's a Simpsons reference. There's this episode where Bart sells his soul to Milhouse and he buys Elf Pogs. Anyway, um, let's just say that's the New Zealand of Aaron Baines. Is that controversial? Because he technically, because of. The... I don't know if it's controversial as much as he might be into it. I don't know. Um, I never. I, I'm not quite on top of what his reasoning was. I think he grew up in Australia and just said, hey, I'm Australian. Um, but the pun was right. awful. More important than any of that, the pun was awful. Thank you. The country's name is not New Zealand. So, you know, that was troublesome. Um, from at Dukes, MCH, did the books actually unlock something that can make a true difference moving forward in the series, or was it more likely fool's gold? This is kind of $64,000 question, Jordan, isn't it? Yes, it is. Where's Dick Clark when you need a pyramid? Um, that's a reference. Sixty-four thousand dollars. You don't need to keep explaining your references. You know, that's you don't how need I to do let it. your references hang out there. But this is a new thing you've got, where you know you explain the reference after you make it. It depends on how I'm feeling, and depends on how funny it is. It probably is not funny to anybody except me, and that's how I roll, baby. Um, I would lean. <laughs> Towards the was ladder. that a match of McConaughey reference? Yeah, Sahara. You would lean towards um, it just being Phil's gold. Yeah, because I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, if it's not, I, I guess, okay, if it's not, they're winning the championship. <laughs> if Tom Baker is going to step in and have 14, 5, and 5 every time he goes to the floor. Uh, I, I understand that element of it. It's whether, I, I think the question being, did they unlock something? Um, on Friday, they unlocked everything, but it's just whether, whether there's something that remains unlocked moving forward against the Celtics, that is the interesting part of it. Um, I don't know. I, it's really difficult. It's really, really tough. The Bucks should be winning game four now. I, I think that's the home crowd well, advantage. Let's throw out shoulds. <laughs> well, you know what shoulds mean in regard to this team. But the home court it's advantage... Butts were candy and nuts. <laughs> the home court advantage combined with what has to feel like a pretty significant momentum swing with how this game played out. I mean, there's a lot of positives there for Milwaukee. There really is a, a good chance to, to get back to Boston all tied up. It's hard, though, to say, well, what part of it holds up to get them across that line? You know, is it that Jabari plays just as well and works just as hard? Is it that Ton continues to have a big impact? Um, is it Delhi comes in and does what he does? They need one of those things. That's the they need something. They need something. It's hard to say exactly what the books need because they're getting, you know, what we expect and what we want out of Giannis and Middleton. And beyond that, you're always going to be saying, you know, the books they just need something else. And it's kind of going to be a surprise night tonight for us because that's the element of it. If it wasn't a surprise, the books would be much better than this and we wouldn't be in this situation. But there is always the element of, you know, if they could just have something and then when they win big games that whatever that was kind of came together for them. It's it's fool's gold in terms of the extent of what they did. Maybe there's something there, though. Well, we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. Maybe there is something there. It's Fool's just... Gold is also a, a Matthew McConaughey movie, just to let you know. <laughs> it's a, it's not going to be quite um, what it was in Game Three, though. Uh, from David on Twenty One, we watched eighty two games with Chris Middleton and however many since he was acquired, and these are his three best games ever. One, how is this possible? Two, is he now a sexy trade chip again? I, I, the first part of this, I mean. I don't see the problem with these being his best games. If we're saying that, I I don't know if they're his three best games if we're to put them all individually. I think this is maybe the best three-game stretch of his career, all things considered. I don't think there's much reason to doubt that. Do we want to make a very short list of books who have had a better three-game stretch than this, though? Giannis. Um, we're done. Kareem. I'm talking about current books. Oh. <laughs> talking about guys who can suit We're up in game four. conversations about one thing. Well, not really. Well, I mean, if Kareem can come in and give some minutes at game four, maybe we've got a good chance. Um, he is I, going I don't see the stars. Yes. I, I don't see the issue with these being his three best games. And for, you know, for someone who has been vocal about him not performing against big teams. I don't think anything should be made light of his three best games coming against the Celtics in a playoff series. I mean, I, I don't have a bad word to say about Chris Middleton right now. Is he a sexy trade chip again? Um, I don't think he ever was completely not a trade chip if they want to go that route. 
the Bucks just shouldn't be looking to trade him unless they're getting a legitimate next level start back or an asset that can become that. I mean, look at the second half of this season generally, and then let's ex- let's expand that out to what we've seen for Middleton in the playoffs. There's no guy on this roster that there's that there should be more confidence in in terms of what he can do or be for the Bucks longer term than Middleton. You've got Giannis, and then the only other guy who you can say with any kind of conviction, well, yeah, he should or could be that is Middleton. Um, I think he's becoming more of a leader. And he's got different gears he can go to. He's not always going to be perfect. And when he's bad, he's going to frustrate a lot of people, particularly you, David on 21. Um, even when he's good, he might, he might, you know, frustrate you. But I mean, him having his three best games of the season now, that's a good thing. If these are his three best games ever. It's not a bad thing. Let's see if he could make it into his six best games ever or something. And then maybe it really matters for the books. There's nothing to get down on Chris Middleton about right now. He's been truly excellent. And that's not just in our own books vacuum. I mean, expand it out. Look around other playoff series and f- kind of pick out how many players are playing better than Chris Middleton has played through the first three games of his series. You're not going to have a long list. Two for the money. Have you got any real contributions or just. No, I don't. <laughs> From a David Dunn 21 again. Does Prunty have a basketball containing the stolen powers of 2003 Kevin Garnett? And if so, why doesn't he let Tom touch it more than once a year? I don't know. That's the question. I think it's safe to say... I don't know. Is there some sort of... Never mind. I think it's safe to say he doesn't have the basketball with Kevin Garnett's powers from 2003. I feel confident in making that claim about Joe Prunty. Ton is Ton. You know, (laughs) this is, if Ton was game three Ton every night, well then, you know, the books aren't the seventh seed in a matchup with the Celtics to begin with. And there's so many different things about their future, about everything, and we're we're none the wiser. He's only a second year guy, so, you know, (laughs) game game three has got to be enough to sustain us through the summer and be like, oh, Maybe there is something there, which we weren't saying before that based on his season today. That's a positive in its own right. But, you know, if Tom was what he was in game three every night, well, then he's not what we know as Tom anymore. He's a completely different kind of player. Yeah, you're just a lot dazed and confused after watching games like that. All the jokes from a big red five, four, nine, three. Who gets more affected by Tom Maker's performance going into game four, Zeller or Henson, pending health? Um, we kind of touched on this, but it's got to be Zeller. I mean, Henson's playing relatively well. Zeller is not. <laughs> it's that simple, really. Yeah, he's had a failure to launch this series, and I, I don't know how that ever changes course. I mean, God. Um, I expected more from Tyler Zeller. I really thought he'd be able to make an influence in the playoffs. I wonder, is this series just a bad one? And it's funny because you don't particularly associate the Celtics big man with any kind of matchup nightmare. Yet, I think he's too slow for Al Horford. And he's being out-muscled by Baines and Monroe. 
he is you know he is the perfect NBA center that sits in the middle of all of that and the Celtics don't even have a backup center who's just kind of in the middle of one of those extremes they have guys who are extremely good one way or another for for their size so it's not working all that well for him I, I think Tom will have to get more minutes it's just up to Tom whether he can produce anything close to what he did anything positive again to keep those minutes if not Henson's back we'll see him play an awful lot um <laughs> From at Applander, the books seem to execute switches and secondary switches seamlessly for the most part. If they can do it up for the rest of the series, what counter would or could Boston use? <sighs> I think the trickiest part of this is something I alluded to earlier, which is a lot of the Celtics' options get taken away if Rozier doesn't play at a higher level. You know, it's... There's a lot of things that Brad Stevens could game plan for. He could draw up for the Celtics to do. And if they don't get some really strong play at the point guard position, I don't know what they can do kind of for that. Now, I don't expect Rozier to be as bad as he was in game three, but it's important that the Celtics get a version of Rozier that's as good as he was in games one and two. And that to me is kind of, but that's the, that's the most interesting part of what Boston does. And I mean, beyond that, there's also, I mean, you need guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum to really knock down their shots inside because they're just getting blocked to go inside. They're getting blocked over and over again. There are some things that are working against the Celtics that I don't know they would necessarily have anticipated for. I think, you know, Game 3 gave us all uh, a look at... a. Uh, a game and an outcome that could finish in a way where a lot of people say, oh yeah, that's what I thought a book Celtic series without Kyrie Irving could be. Yet none of the things that were happening to turn the game were the things that anyone would have predicted going into that. Because there are new wrinkles that are kind of unfolding for both of those teams. And that, that happens in the playoffs because you're covering for you know the biggest threats you expect. It's more about if the books can continue to switch and do so as well as that. I mean, well, there's not a lot any team can do. You can try, but there's a reason why, I mean, I feel like anyone who thinks about basketball in that way and has watched the books for any length of time has been advocating for, you know, that super long team to switch everything. It's because they can be one of the very best defensive teams in the NBA if they just switch everything. And when they don't just switch everything, they are one of the very worst defensive teams in the NBA. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think you summed it up perfectly. I, I, it's just it gives, if they can switch that well, it gives the books a chance to control their own destiny with their defense, which we're now like very well accustomed to that not being the case. To just being like, well, if the defense is going to be what it is and they've got to find a way to win in spite of that. If they can switch that well, you're taking some of that control away from the Celtics. Yeah, you're giving them enough time to kill. From at Steven Tio 71. How much does this game change your predictions on the series? I mean, <laughs> not at all is my answer right now. Yeah. Not at all. I mean, I, I predicted Celtics in five, and for that to happen, the Bucks needed to get a game. Um, so not at all. What I will say is it's dramatically changed my feeling about what can happen. You know, and that's what's actually most important here because you'd hope the same applies to the players. 
this was always a series that the books had the potential to go and win or go and do something special with but it was going to take lots of these freakish games up until friday we hadn't seen any of them now one has happened the players need to build on it they need to take what they did from it do it again and find new elements that they could work on and exploit and that's the big question mark with the books i mean overall the celtics still have the lead in the series you know um if the celtics lose on sunday um they're still all tied and then they have a best of three series where they have two home games so the Celtics are still big favorites to win this series. They still are the better coach team. They're the more together team. They're the more consistent, the more reliable team. The books just found something. And that gives me optimism. I wouldn't say it gives me confidence just yet. I'd need to see another game of that before I'd really feel like, wow, something's happening here. And if the books can put another game of it together, I mean, then that's really in play. Because you get a books team with a lot of momentum going back to Boston with a game six back in Milwaukee, that becomes a game the Celtics just can't lose. There'd be a lot of pressure on that with all momentum against them, with their confidence maybe much lower. I think that's the interesting part if they could take care of game four, but we're still a long way away from, you know, that being a completed end to game four. So I feel more optimistic, but uh, I don't think I could be confident just yet. Yeah, that was one thing I forgot to touch on. Actually, probably now is the better time, considering it's more of a preview and you're asking questions. And it would, you know, be more. It would be more seamless to answer this question in the way that I'm about to answer it, instead of just inserting it without any, you know, context or you know desire. Anyway, um, I saw a lot of people talking about last night, especially when you know the Bucks are up by like 25, and like this is what we're talking about heading in the series. Talent matters. I'm like, that's true to an extent you're getting it, i mean that was not the reason why they won last night's game yeah it was the ton maker game so that kind of flies in the face of that <laughs> yeah exactly yeah the, the the players that you're relying on for talent or, or the 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 uh, the players that you that were signaling out here and who made arguably the biggest impact on the night are some of the you know most flawed kind of play play above their punch above their weight so to speak um and you know thon delhi uh you know not middleton obviously that's more you know talent based anyway anyway um that was just one thing that kind of i i you know i i didn't necessarily agree with but that's it's all part of the plan you can have those guys your top tier guys lead you the way but it's all about filling in the roster or filling in with you know deep in the roster and having the right schematic tactics planned out to how you want to win the game um and that's what we saw in game three uh yeah I, that's it yeah, that that's my answer that's your answer thanks jordan um the, the thing i'd say with that is you know everything in the series everything <laughs> games one through three if you want to pull one true line from all of them it's that the book's talent isn't enough to win the series you know, it's they can't just win because they have the talent. Because it took the guys who weren't expected coming up with big performances in game three to win. And in games one and two, both Yanis and Chris Middleton played exceptionally well and the books lost. So the, the talent end of this is kind of, you know, that should be put to bed now. That's done. Forget about that for the series. It's been proven otherwise. The books need more than that. The talent is a good base. It might keep them somewhat within reach. 
they're still going to need more. They're going to need some random guys to come up or um, some of the underachieving kind of slightly less than top tier talented guys to uh, weigh in with their own contributions too. From at Alex underscore Koenig 023. Isn't it actually a little kind of super annoying that Ton shows nothing all year until the playoffs? Like, yeah, cool, performing in the playoffs, but really nothing during the season to show he can do that or deserves the time now. Am I being irrational slash a party pooper? Um, I don't know. Ton is just really difficult to get any feel on. I mean... I don't know. There's, there's common denominators in both ways. Last year, there was... Uh, I'd have to look at how many minutes he actually played before the playoffs. Um, but we know he was playing like more than it was like twelve to fourteen minute games, starting exclusively, and then would take get taken out when they went to their bench. So there's not much to game plan off of, you know, the seven foot one guy that can affect plays defensively and spaces the floor at spaces the floor at minimum, maybe not effectively. Um, and the when you see that more often, it's easy to exploit, and when you when you're not prepared for that. You had games like last night, and that's what we saw. I think that's. I think that's. I'm not saying that is the basis for why he played so well, because obviously it's up to him making those plays and affecting the game in the way that he did. But that certainly plays a part in why, uh, you know, the Bucks just completely controlled the game for you know, mostly from the jump. He was larger than life. So you, so you think there's an element of playoffs come the opposing team kind of zeroes in very much on everything the books do and they're never fully prepared for ton maker because why would you be wasting your time game playing for him and he catches them off guard is that is there some of that is that kind of what you're saying well i mean he how did i he didn't really feature in their plans down the stretch of the season and mm-hmm. i i would figure even they're not it's not like they have a blank Manila folder for what they have game plan for for Thon. I mean, visually but, that works very well. That's a yeah. that's a great image. Yeah, because you know, Brad Stevens like a taxi. After game four, they go back to the locker room. They scramble around. Stevens says to one of his assistants, "Go get the folder. Go get the folder. I'm the Lincoln." Assistant lawyer. scurries back, drops the folder on the ground, but there's no papers to fall out of it. It just folds over, open, it has Ton Maker, and that's it. Nothing. It's blank. It's empty. It has doodles on it inside the in the inside the it has, a, it has a stick drawing of a man with really long arms inside. Yep. That's it. And also his his um his shopping list for you know a couple of weeks ago. Put that water, <laughs> mushrooms. I know. Anyway, that's a weird John Horse birthday cake. John um, Horse birthday cake. That Thon ate. You know, that is the that is the difference maker. It's not the secret Thon here, really. Ate the birthday cake, beefing up those calories. That was yeah, before game you know, two. He got the tech after it, I guess. Um, so maybe. And as I pointed out today, after after that game, Marcus Johnson tweeted out that he spoke to Thon about the two techs. He said he's ne- he'd never seen him as confident, and he really as confident, and he really hoped he'd get minutes in game three. So Thon ate the cake. Off. Eric yeah. Name had a good quote about it last week before they went to Boston, and uh, Thon said, "I'm always ready" or something like that. And there was a good quote by Jack Maloney of CBS Sports talking about Thon 
he has found like what, or I don't know if he asked spe- specifically, but thought had a good quote about what, what does it mean about playing playoff time that he, you know, plays at his best. Do you want know, me to, I, do you want me to give you the quote? I've, I've had the quote in front of me just in case I needed it at any point. So I can, I can give you exactly what Tom said. Do it. I quote, playoffs just get me really hyped. The crowd, even if it's an away crowd, just to hear that noise, you just get motivated. You just feel like you have to leave everything on the floor. It's the end of the season. There's teams sitting at home watching us, and I do not want to be those guys. So I got to find a way to get out there and give everything I got. I have nothing to lose. Like I said, I really love this game, and the playoffs are the biggest stage. So I got to find a way to impact the game. I mean, goosebumps. That's a little bit of Tropic Thunder for you. <laughs> That's a hell of a quote from Tom Maker. Um, the one thing I want to just say on this question about the frustration of, you know, you get one version of Tom all season and he shows up. Is that not annoying? I mean, he is representative of the book's greater struggles of where you have all of these guys and you have all these decisions to make in the coming years and you don't know what anyone is. You know what they can be, but whether they can be that with any regularity and whether their problems are too much to overcome, whether their strengths are worth investing in. Ton is the books. That is it. Ton maker is the book. <laughs> every issue, every positive, everything rolled into one. All of the questions you have over the book's future can be represented by Tom Maker. Uh, I really feel that is the case because you could talk about Ton. We can we can move that to Jabari. It's not just playoffs, but Jabari goes and has a game like that and they win. And the big thing and the reason why I'd still I, I feel no different than I did before about either player. It's not. It's because I know what they can be at their best. It's just the question the books will have to answer is, well, how often can they be their best? Can they ever get to a point where their average game is closer to their best than it is to what their average game is at the moment? Like these are all the questions. So for me with Tom, that's a that's a larger issue for the books, and it may be something that points back to coaching and the lack of culture and things like that again. Where if you get a right coach in, just maybe the margin for error shrinks. But for me, everything we see with Tom, it's the books. If you want to explain the books' frustrations, your frustrations with the books, get a photo of Tom Maker and just show it to someone. Trust it in their face. Say, this This is it. What is this? Is it good? Is it bad? Nobody knows. From at Alex underscore Koenigs or Tutriga. Could there be a mental blockage for why Jabari has been so spotty defensively, i.e. fearful of sharp cuts, re-injuring, or maybe a lack of confidence in his conditioning? Like where he doesn't think he can give 100% effort on both ends of the floor, or am I making excuses for him? Well, Alex, you are making excuses for Jabari Parker. Um, He's never been a good defender, wasn't a good defender in college, and has never been a good defender in the NBA. Um, We often associate effort with defense jabari in games one and two showed zero effort particularly in game two oh you know no both games both games it applies zero effort offensively as well just didn't care i mean there's no mental blockage uh jabari we'll we will talk as 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 i've already said you know we'll we will talk about jabari and all the things he said and what all of it may mean or may not mean when the book season is done whenever that is I think the one thing I, I'd like to say right now is, I mean, Jabari got me fired up after his his um, press conference at practice on Thursday. And I was tweeting, and one of the results from that were 
there were a lot of people who seemed ready to say, oh, everyone's got, everyone's always had it out for Jabari, you know, this is something where he's always been the scapegoat, he's always been someone that people are looking to pile on. There are people that's true for, 100%. People that's been true for for a long time. Right now, there are also a lot of people that's not true for, and I'd include myself as one, I've been a colossal Jabari Parker fan, Jordan is also one, there are so many ways where recent events and comments and this play are boiled down to things and we talk about numbers and we talk about this and it's like if you have eyes if you have eyes and you're not just going out of your way to be completely delusional you know how bad Jabari Parker has played recently you know that's that's all we can ever try to do is be fair to a player and say oh this player has played well when he's played well and oh this player has not played well when he's played poorly that's what's happened with Jabari at the moment. You know, Jabari, any criticism he's got in recent weeks, he deserves. There's no, there's no sympathy for him when he thinks he's entitled to certain things. We've all been there. We've all supported Jabari. Books fans have. And I, I felt very much like that was a problem with his comments on Thursday is that, you know, I've waited two years from this. You know, that's nonsense. Your teammates, your organization, a city and their fans have waited two years for you as well. You know, go out there, show them something. He did, and he deserves credit for that. Jabari's problems are still Jabari's problems, though. You know, they may well surface to be his problems and Milwaukee's problems in game four. It's not about mental blockages. There's no need. We all need to get past the point of making excuses for him. Making excuses for any book. Guys will play well, and they'll play poorly, and... This would all be a lot easier for everyone if you're just like, oh yeah, he had a bad game, or he had a good game. Put an end to factions, Jordan. Remember factions all that time yeah. ago? Factions still reign supreme. It's as puzzling as ever. Um, when Jabari Parker plays poorly, you know, let's talk about him playing poorly. It's part of it. When he plays well, let's talk about that. When Chris Middleton plays brilliant, let's talk about that. When he plays poorly, let's talk about that. Uh, we do all of that. You know, I think anyone could selectively pull anything that either myself or Jordan have said on podcasts, written in articles, tweeted about either of those guys because we've been able to be frustrated with them and we've been able to be incredibly impressed and pleased at how they've played. Why? Because them, along with every book not named Giannis, have had their inconsistent moments. And that's a part of it. Call it as it is. There's no need for excuses. Jabari's defense is nothing to do with his injury. It is very much to do with who Jabari has been from the moment he stepped into the NBA. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's it's the fan reaction after that. And, you know, I I talked about it or tweeted about it. I didn't talk about it verbally. It was nonverbal. Um, I tweeted about it and we saw it a little bit, even with Chris Milton playing playoff, I, I saw a couple, you know, people think like everybody should owe Chris Milton apology. You're the haters, all this stuff. It's like it doesn't benefit anybody by putting their yeah, I, I was I'll be right up front. I was what? What? I tweeted that. I was one of the people who tweeted that. I don't want to hear oh, anyone. Yeah, I yeah. stand by it. I stand yeah. by it because but I that's not so much what I have the problem with, because the thing with that is it's it, the general idea is let's not get down on someone so much when they do the bad things. Because they can also do things like that. And he has done things like that. There are other players in the conversation. Jabari Parker, for example. 
Jabari hasn't had those highs. Jabari has not hit an incredibly difficult shot to send a game to overtime in a game of a playoff series. He hasn't had the multiple game winners Chris Middleton's had over the years. He hasn't produced, we'll go back to that three-game stretch, you know, Middleton has. But the thing with all of this is just, like, let's move all of that out. Let's not hate on Chris Middleton. You can say game to game. He had a bad game. He's had a bad run of games. Doesn't make him a bad player, you know? Jabari Parker, I'm at a point where I really, I, I'm I'm basically done, and I don't know if there's a way back on this for the books. That, that makes sense for them. There's certainly a way back where they sign him and it goes on. But that doesn't mean I don't understand how talented he can be and what the best version of Jabari can be for the books. It's kind of like so much of the just discourse around all of this just wants to simplify everything down to good player, bad player. You know, yeah, and good it, player, keep them, bad player, trade them. And that's the other thing is that when you have these comments and you're it isn't isolated incidents. It's it was building up the last three weeks of just strange talking about his future and not being as engaged as he was when he first came back and all this stuff that's happening. And when you have big it's not just Jabari's future on the line, it's the Bucks' future. If they lock him in, we know all the financial stakes. This if they re-sign him at a at a high enough price at a lengthy ter- a deal, that locks in the Bucks' future. And considering how this season has gone, and considering yes, he has numbers to back that up and all this stuff, and he has plenty of talent even through two knee injury serious knee injuries. There's everything that's going on between the ears the last couple of weeks have not been encouraging. And that's something you want to see out of a guy that, you know, his fit is still questioned. That's, that's bar none. That's we, these are questions that you can't just bury your head in the sand. And when you're showing when a player is kind of, when he's doing this publicly and saying that he's on the good side of Joe Prunty, which, you know, I, I said it after that happened. I'm surprised those comments are getting picked up even more because it's, it's, that's something I I don't know. I've never heard of a player saying that during a playoff series, at least in a Bucks. No, it doesn't happen. It, it, you said it to me at the time, but if it's not in Milwaukee, that's like all over Sports Center. That's major news because it's just it's so incredibly just bizarre and dysfunctional and so selfish of the player. Um, to his credit, and I don't I don't know if this has been picked up anywhere. The only place I've seen it reported, maybe I'm wrong, uh, but was actually in. Charles Gardner's piece for the Boston Globe on Game 3, um, he had the note that Jabari declined to comment to media after the game on Friday. He wouldn't speak. Yep. My reaction to that was good. Yeah, good. No, I hope I hope, I hope no someone doubt has... It. Gwen Stefani. <laughs> I hope someone has either tapped him on the shoulder or he's had that realization himself of, you know, I because I, I would have been worried about, uh, you know, Jabari has a good game and then goes to the media and says, yeah, that's why I deserve minutes. You just don't need to do it. Just distance yourself from it. Forget about it. Just go and play basketball. Like you said, you've been so desperate to do for so long. And I don't doubt that. The guy has been incredibly unlucky with injuries. But just go and play basketball. And yet, again, you're right. Because what the books do with Jabari is the book's future. You know, that's, that is a defining moment. Much like a year from now, what they decide to do at Middleton, if that's to re-sign him and at what price, that will factor in. Malcolm Brogdon, uh, 
Tan Maker, look at the game we just had. What if Tan can do things like that more often? A time comes where you've got to worry about Tan's next contract. A lot of us would start to write that off. There are so many of these moments that can still be there for the book, some right on the horizon in Jabari's case, and others down the line, that you know, the, there has to be a better job generally, I think, among the fan base and amongst amongst Book's Twitter, which is just a part of the community, but I think it's a vocal part of the community, obviously, and it's an important part of the community to just have better discussions about players. Um, it's it's not that's on everyone, that's on us, that's on everyone. But just don't we don't need to latch on to players. They all wear the same jersey. And like if game four comes down to any player making a shot, if they make the shot and the books win, who cares? You know, that's all that matters. I would take Rashad Vaughn coming back and making a game winning shot in game four and I would I would hold my hand up and say, I was wrong, Jordan. I'll celebrate this moment. You know, that's that's just the best example I could give of a player who I've been opposed to. But, you know, I just have to be right on that one. Anyway, um, last question, Jordan. From real underscore MR Hagedorn. Million dollar question, Alex says. But how do the books avoid coming out flat tomorrow? I think this one's easy. They don't come out flat. I think there there is no answer to this. There is no like when the books come out flat, they just don't come out ready to play. It's not it's not necessarily a decision that they have to make or something they have to do to change that. It's just they've come out, they've started a game, and they haven't put themselves in the right mindset or what whatever it is to begin with. Just don't do that. Be fully aware of the stakes. Um, let the atmosphere drive you on. Let that feed into the energy in the building. Let it feed into the performances. Just come out and from the very first tip, play like you're in game four of a playoff series. That's it. Now, whether they can do that, I have no idea. And honestly, for me, that's what defines game four. Books come out and start well, the books will win. If the books... Make contact. You know, I can't think of another Matthew McConaughey movie that I can reference. (laughs) You've been working on it very well for quite a while, but I think I got twenty. Twenty? I don't know if it was that. Well, people can 16. come back. I've done my very best not to comment on them, even when I've noticed because I didn't want to feed into this. I wanted to actually talk about you know basketball, but I did not. <laughs> <laughs> the thing with all of this is, you know, we said from the start of the series, or at least. I have. It's been one of the things that I felt very strongly about. If you give the Celtics a chance, if you let them stay in touch, they'll win. Yep. If we want to make, make if we want to make the talent or any of those elements pay off, the books need to take control from the start and stamp their authority on these games. Yep. You you don't want to be Dallas Dallas Sellers Club. You want to be Dallas Buyers Club. Jordan, I, I'm hoping you're maybe out of Matthew McConaughey movies to shoehorn. Shoehorn into your answer for this, but how are you feeling about Game Four? What is your prediction? It's going to be a game that I'm going to witness with my two, three very eyes. Oh, does, does Matthew count it? No, never mind. Anyway, yeah, I'm going to be going to this game, and it's going to be strange. Anyway, um. Ooh. I think 
I think we have a game four like last year's playoff series where it, it gets stuck in mud. I, that was not another force feed Matthew McConaughey reference that I already made that two minutes ago. Um, I think it's going to be a, a a mud fight, a rock fight, uh, any fight. Evander Holyfield, Lennox Lewis, Butterbean. I think, I think the Celtics win. End up winning handily. I think it's going to be double digits. I will not give a specific number. Why? Why? Why do okay, you, why do you think that? Something no, not why not the number. Why do you? Oh. What's making you think it's going to be? You just think the whole game is going to shift to what Boston wants it to be again? Yeah, I I don't know. I've I don't feel like there's any logic in there. I think that's just the dread that comes over you at all things books is really speaking up. I mean they're wearing green they you know they'll say we are Marshall, you know, whatever. Oh god. I think the books have a real chance. Can't play. I think the books have a real chance. Um I think this will be a close game. I, I was agreeing with a lot of what Jordan said up until he said Celtics by double digits. Um I think this will be a really close game. And it will be tougher for the books because that doesn't play to their strengths. It just depends though on whether they can get some of those things they got in game three again. Or something else. If it's, you know, if Jason Terry comes back in and hits three three pointers, if you get Delhi doing more and it works positively, or you know, it's it is the random element of this. Um I'm I, I think the Celtics will win, but I think it'll be really, really close. And I have no confidence in that prediction. This is it. I think I honestly want to see it through the sea of trees. This is the series. If for me, if the books win game four, the books are in the second round. I don't. I don't think the books. I don't think the books will come out of that final best of three series worse off if they manage to win these two games. Particularly if they did find a way to win impressively again. Um, you know that's. That's the way momentum can work in a playoff series, and it's the way the games have lined up for the books as a lesser seed in this matchup. It's going to be really close. And um, honestly, the margin between uh, Celtics in five or a Bucks in six could be very little at the end of this game. Because I, I think the winning team could almost win in. That's my opinion. Ghost of Girlfriends Past. All right. Thanks, as always, to all of you for listening. Make sure you subscribe to us uh, via Apple Podcasts, Falls and SoundCloud, Addison Stitcher, favorites on TuneIn Radio. To get even more from us in this podcast form, we will have a post-game podcast for you soon enough after the game ends basically as soon as you can record it jordan will not be with me because he will be in the building boots uh, on the ground i am scheduled to have two of our great behind the book pass contributors with me though joe sterndorf and rowan Cotty. so both joe and rowan are reliably great when they're on the podcast you will probably get less matthew mcconaughey film references but that's maybe a good thing overall so make sure you come back and tune in to what myself joe and rowan have to say after game four until then check out check out all of our writing on behindthebookpass.com follow us on twitter at winning six podcast and also the website at behind the books 
thanks to all of you for listening. I guess thanks to you, Jordan. Thank you.